This session is brought to you with the help of Sundial Cannabis, the natural alternative for modern wellness. Hello and welcome to Sessions by the Herb Life. My name is Tiana, your friendly sessions facilitator, and we are back for season two with a new lineup of women, mostly with a sprinkling of man here and there, who have made cannabis their business. Sessions is a podcast that aims to bring forth the conversations that are happening on the ground of the cannabis industry to generate new ideas and highlight the dedication of some of the plant's greatest advocates. By bringing together a rotating roster of people with an emphasis on women and diversity, we hope to share with you the passions, the challenges and the triumphs of those working in the cannabis space. Much like you, my job really is to sit back and enjoy the ride. This episode, we welcome Emerald Asuncion and Abby Sampson, two very well-known advocates in the cannabis space, who are going to discuss everything from their experiences of being women of color in the cannabis industry to the roots of cannabis legalization and the dedication of some of the industry's pioneers. They also highlight the pitfalls of legalization and how we all too often forget minorities and indigenous peoples in the race to get to the top. You know, it's interesting how many people view this industry as new and emerging. Now, this may be true in the mainstream consideration, but really this road has been paved by a long list of activists and advocates for decades, some of who have even unfortunately been all but shut out of the legalized space. While legal cannabis is just over one year old, Emerald has worked in the space for more than seven years, starting with the BC Compassion Club back in 2013. Now she works as the communications and culture coordinator at Pasha Brands, which is itself a Prohibition-era brand house. Just quietly, I love that they describe themselves as a Prohibition-era brand house. Abby Sampson, on the other hand, is a slightly newer addition to the space and has been working in cannabis since 2015. She holds a range of accomplishments herself in areas of social justice and reform, both in and out of the cannabis industry. She's the chair of the Dandelion Initiative, a grassroots not-for-profit organization providing support and advocating on behalf of survivors of sexual assault. She's worked with Normal Canada, a cannabis advocacy group in the country. She's on the board for Niche Canada and is currently working as client care specialist at Canopy Growth. She has herself undertaken her own advocacy quests in representing her Filipino roots, which you'll hear more about this episode. All I can say about this episode is that if, like me, you're a foodie, you'll want to take notes around the 35-minute mark when these two get into blazing and going out for Filipino food. And now, Abby and Emerald. Hi, everyone. My name is Abby Sampson, and I am so excited to be hosting this episode of Herb Life Sessions, where I will be interviewing Emerald or Emmy Asuncion. So let's get to it. Emmy, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, I mean, Emerald, tell tell everyone about yourself. Uh, okay, um, my name is Emerald Asuncion. Thank you for saying my name correctly and so beautifully. Uh, <laughs> often people call me Emmy, Ems, Emmer. Uh, Emerald is great too. I am the communications and culture coordinator for Pasha Brands, a vertically integrated Prohibition-era cannabis brand house staffed with hella industry OGs and people who help make BC Bud world famous. I'm honored to be able to collaborate with some of my favorite cannabis professionals who I've been watching and working with for years. Um, as a professional, 
Uh, I started advocating for patients with the oldest and longest running medical cannabis dispensary, wellness center, and community-based nonprofit health organization, the BC Compassion Club Society, uh, where I devoted my energy and work until October 2018 when the burnout told me to relax and take a break and smoke one all day long for six months. Uh, however, I'm here, I'm back, and I'm... Um, cultivating an honorable, ritualistic, and sacramental relationship with cannabis and uh, I'm and with the awesome team at Pasha Brands. And so I'm a first-generation child of immigrant parents from the Philippines. My mother is Bicolano from Bacom Beach, Sorsogon. My father is from just across the water in Maspate, the Visayan province of Maspate. I was born in... St. John, New Brunswick. I speak English as my first language, basically still my only language, but I'm always learning, trying to. And that has led me to a lifelong journey of discovering what it means to be Filipino. Preferred pronouns, uh, I don't really have any, um, as long as respect is reciprocal. Um, I've always said that Filipinos do not use gendered pronouns. It's always they, them, and theirs. So in our language, um, that's, it's always often found that we will um, misgender people because we don't have that and people get offended by that. And that's probably where Sir Ma'am came from. Um, yeah, that's definitely, yeah, I definitely experienced that growing up for sure. Yeah. And what else did you ask? You wanted to know? Uh, yeah, like um, what inspired you to start advocating for and like working in the cannabis space? Mm, so many things. Probably the first thing I ever did was in 2001, I was um, asked by a friend of a friend if I wanted to take part in volunteering at Cannabis Day at the legislature grounds at Edmonton. I didn't really know what I was getting into, but I knew I had already cultivated a deep relationship with cannabis and its mystery as a medicine. I had no idea how deeply rooted in politics and colonialism it would it had been and is, um, but that was probably the first starting off point. And then I always used cannabis all on my own until, um, yeah, since I was 13 years old. Until about 2013, I started working with the BC Compassion Club Society um, because of a good friend, Riel Many Wounds, who I'd like to shout out. Um, she <laughs> she was a cannabis activist with the BC Compassion Club since 2008, and she had been encouraging me, encouraging me to apply since 2010. And I finally did in 2013, and I was so lucky to have her to to help me realize how much how important it is for me to take up space in this world. And uh, she's always someone I channel whenever I'm whenever I'm needing to show my fierceness, show my professionalism. Uh, she's she's got it. Amazing. Yeah, so I have respect for that in my life. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. I, you know what, it's, it's incredible just how generous um, people in the cannabis community are with sharing their expertise and willing to kind of share stories of the old school days. And I was something, um, a commonality I've been finding, and maybe, maybe you um, 
maybe this has been your experience too, but I find that hanging out with a lot of OG advocates who have been around for quite some time, you get to learn so much about the journeys that they've been on and kind of um, the stories of other people, mm-hmm. right? The, the people that they've met, the patients that they've worked with, and kind of all the other really cool advocates that um, they're inspired by and uh, and that they've worked alongside with, right? It's um, cannabis legalization has been a long, a long, long fought uh, fight here in Canada. And I feel like, Emmy, you've been around for so long, right? It's been going Just, on, what, seven years as a cannabis professional? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is a very long time. I remember um, going to a cannabis conference not too long ago and um, the host of the talk was like, oh, I started in the cannabis space a month ago. And, you know, in our industry, that's a that's a lifetime. <laughs> and, you know, there was chuckles in the audience, but I'm like, oh, you don't even know. <laughs> but yeah, like someone such as yourself, I mean, you know, you've been around for going on seven years. Um, obviously, your relationship with Ganja extends much longer than that. But I want to hear from you, like since you've been around for so long, and you've seen, um, you know, the cannabis landscape evolve from prohibition to legalization, like what are some, some of the positive changes you've seen? And like, what more do we need to work on? Oh, my goodness. Uh, loaded questions. Um, <laughs> uh, I think having been in Vancouver, I've been grateful to watch a lot of uh, a lot of this go down and um, be a part of conversations that have led to legalization. Um, I've been so grateful to be a part of that and taking taking note in honoring the plant and the patients who need her the most and uh, the people and policies who affect this change. The most interesting thing for me probably was 2013 to 16 about, I'd say, the Wild West Dispensary Green Rush in Vancouver. Um, I got to watch a lot of uh, really unique things happen out of it, like inspired businesses and services and products that developed um, the research towards patients and considering patients, the stigma was broken amongst a whole variety of communities. And being a part of uh, the BC Compassion Club Society for six of those years, being able to affect um, patients and see the resilience in their experiences using cannabis as medicine and therapeutically and the variety of people who we've been able to serve because of because they were able to open up their doors to people like Riel and myself who acknowledge that the patient community is a lot more diverse than who it normally gets marketed to I guess like who cannabis normally gets marketed to um, so we've it was so important for us to see representation of our faces behind behind the counter, um, educating faces that look like ours, and we could see that we so we see that was necessary. Um, cons, <laughs> cons of uh, of this industry of uh, pro- uh, watching prohibition come legal. Probably one of the biggest is just watching rich people become richer and treating cannabis like a cash cow. Uh-huh lack of acknowledgement towards the people in the land or being able to share the privileges that protect the people in the land. Um, And by privileges, I mean the people who have been able to benefit um, off of cannabis, having voices, resources, 
space, time, energy that they could put towards um, making it a more diverse economy, making it uh, acknowledging the what's the word I'm looking for? All of the negatives that have come through because of prohibition. And a con for me personally, I found, is um, the lumping of women in with minorities and anything that I read about in diversity and cannabis. I really appreciate that um, there is the acknowledgement of the differences between men and women as as patients, as cannabis users, as professionals. But then when it gets, when I often read people of color and women, it's it kind of takes away from the fact that people of color come as women too, and we're also here taking up space in this industry. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Absolutely, yeah. I don't know if that's a con per se, but it's just, uh, I guess, another thing to work towards. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, I mean, I, I think, um, I think that's, uh, I think intersectionality is a huge issue, right? And I think that, um, just kind of recognizing that, um, you know, different populations or different def- demographics that, you know, cannabis touches, you know, we all have like different issues that we kind of are, are faced with. And you're absolutely right to kind of lump everyone or kind of, you know, to, to lump to lump uh, those demographics together. I hear you. I feel like there are more. Mm-hmm. Our intersections are so much more layered. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the nuance, right? Like the nuance experiences. Mm-hmm. Even between women who are of any color between each other, you know, there's there's so many experiences that, that can be defined from within that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no. So, so obviously, I mean, like we've, there's, you know, we've come a long way, but clearly we have much more work to do. Right. And, um, you know what, like cannabis hasn't even been legalized for a year yet. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've got a, got a whole lot of, we've got a lot more fight in us. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Emmy, even though, how do I say this? Like, I mean, even though, so Emmy, we only met this year when I started like my quest for other like Filipinos, Filipinx folks in the cannabis space. And I got to say that after one Skype convo with you, I felt like an immediate connection and a mm-hmm. kinship with you. And <laughs> yeah, I know. And I mean, A, it's because you're really rad. And I, um, and I think also too, it's because of our like shared lived experience as Filipino Canadians in cannabis. Um, because, like I mean growing up for me cannabis was a completely taboo topic it's not something that we talked about so it was not something that was accepted um, amongst my family um, and the perception of it was very negative Um, but how about you Emmy like what was the perception of cannabis amongst your family and community Um, and now that it's legalized like have those conversations changed have they shifted have they Mm -hmm. stayed the same Um, yeah definitely now that it's legal my um, relationship with my parents somehow has um, elevated (laughs) but (laughs) um, (laughs) I just thought of that now (laughs) so I say that because um, like you my my experience growing up it was very negative Uh, my parents were uh, they they were very ignorant to it but what they knew was it was illegal and what they thought was it's uh, a poison it will cause lung infections you will become a troubled individual you'll become a criminal it's a gateway to homelessness and addiction it's like they were 
they were completely ignorant to it and not wanting to learn about it. So like I said, I started at 13. So considering my early introduction, I was able to be very discreet about it um, for many years until 2016 when I decided uh, I needed to speak up uh, during the cannabis business licensing um, in Vancouver, the public hearings. And my parents were visiting and uh, I was out for dinner with them and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I have to go. They're like, where are you going? And then I decided it was time to stop lying. I guess I'm what, I was 33 years old. (laughs) It's time to not hide this from my parents. So, and just be completely honest. Well, I'm going to go speak to mayor and council about how they can improve cannabis city um, or cannabis bylaw licensing uh, in Vancouver to ensure that patients um, have access Uh, to medicine. That's where I was at in life. And um, that was met with almost relief. My parents were like, they were surprised that I would keep a secret from them for so long. They were surprised that um, I I thought that they would be embarrassed by me, um, that they um, wouldn't accept me. They they were more than accepting. Now my mother is the one on, you know, posting on it. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, talking talking about it, educating her friends, making me work on my days off, talking to her friends, uh, <laughs> of course, um, <laughs> sending me articles about research and patients and investing. Um, so yeah, it's there. It's been a completely supported thing in my house and or in my family's. I guess I should say group chats because we all live in different places. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um and it's even uh gone international with my other with the rest of my family like doing the exact same thing posting things on their Facebook from Germany and Philippines and New Jersey. <laughs> That's incredible. It's it's interesting how cannabis has been able to kind of bring your family together, it seems, kind of like from all different corners of the world, or at least it's kind of like this common thing that you can at least talk about every once in a while. Sometimes some folks might be open to learning more about it, but they all know that Emmy is the person to like turn to, that they're like... (laughs) (laughs) Last time I went home, I remember singing karaoke in my parents' house with their friends. And, you know, as we're passing the mic, we're also passing the vape pen. And my parents didn't partake, but the fact that I got to do that with, you know, their friends and family, it meant a lot. Yes. Oh, yeah, those small victories. Oh, my goodness. That's the best. No, I hear you. That, that's when you know you've come for a circle, circle and things are kind of normalized. If, if you can consume cannabis in the presence of your family and not have them, like, kind of bring mm-hmm. the wrath of God out. There's more acceptance. <laughs> they, they want me to be comfortable um, being who I am, doing what I do, um, and not hesitating around them. If I need to go take a walk and go smoke one because I'm trying to be you know not rude in the house when they're when they're visiting my mom will be like oh why don't why don't you just use your bong and you can just blow it out the window you know like she knows to consider it and I'm so proud of them yeah oh that's so good oh I'm so glad destigmatizing like 
<laughs> one nanai and tatai mm-hmm. at a time. I love it. I mean, like, I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of like our connectivity, um, personal connectivity is kind of like um, our, our interests and kind of our, our commitment to kind of exploring our indigenous Filipino roots um, and kind of on that same breath um, earlier this month on August 9th, it was actually international day of the world's indigenous peoples. Um, Now on that same breath, some of our listeners might be interested to learn that the native people of the Philippines um, do actually have a really long history of being colonized by many, many, many outsiders. Um, like, I don't think we're going to go into that, into that. That's like a topic for like a whole other episode, but, um, I do want to share this excerpt posted on the UN website that says, Indigenous peoples are inheritors and practitioners of unique cultures and ways of relating to people and the environment. They have retained social, cultural, economic, and political characteristics that are distinct from those of the dominant societies in which they live. Despite their cultural differences, Indigenous peoples from around the world share common problems related to the protection of their rights as distinct peoples. Indigenous peoples have sought recognition of their identities, their way of life, and their right to to traditional lands, territories, and natural resources for years. Yet throughout history, their rights have always been violated. Indigenous peoples today are arguably among the most disadvantaged and vulnerable groups of people in the world. The intersectional community, or pardon me, (laughs) the international community now recognizes that special measures are required to protect their rights and maintain their distinct cultures and way of life. Um, When I read that, I was super moved. I felt like um, it was a really good, it was a really good kind of description of kind of you know, what has happened to Indigenous people and what continues to happen um, to them in different pockets of the world today. And I think, I mean, that we can both agree that we wouldn't be like working in cannabis if we didn't believe in its inherent ability to like do good for the world, right? <laughs> like, um, I don't know, I've always truly viewed cannabis as a beacon for good. And like, if harnessed properly, it has the ability to create like major social, economic, Mm -hmm. environmental, global change, right? Um, So I guess my question is, as immigrants, as settlers, as folks not originally from this country, from Canada, how do we, like cannabis professionals, how do we harness our immense privilege of working in this emerging soon to be billion dollar industry to support indigenous communities, um, to support indigenous populations and to support indigenous businesses to succeed in the Canadian cannabis space. Definitely. It's funny you asked that too, because we also asked a very similar question when I uh, applied to the BC Compassion Club Society, which is, uh, it's something like, if, how do you respond if someone were to ask you um, how you feel about living and working on unceded Coast Salish territory? Mm. And for those listening, that is the traditional lens of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people of this land known as Vancouver, BC. When I first encountered that question, 
Um, I think my answer is very similar to now is that except at that time I had to Google to see what that even meant and decide where I stand on that. Um, And so what I found was I've been educated to a certain level and I can appreciate um, what I've learned, but I need to learn more and I need to um, and I need to always share whatever I've learned. So we are at a really unique time in the world where collective consciousness is shifting. People are realizing what it, what I had realized, that if we want to grow as humans to self-actualize, we need to shut up and listen, like really listen. Um, we can listen within ourselves and learn to connect our bodies and listen to each other and learn to connect to each other. And, um, and when our opinions are needed or requested or compelled to share, we're at a time when people are making space and building platforms for us to hear us. As people with privilege, we need to continue educating ourselves and sharing that knowledge. And what that means uh, to me is, is creating more of that co- collective conscious shift so that people can you bring that awareness to their communities and... It feels very vague what I'm saying, but I hope it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, for sure. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I think um, if, if I'm understanding correctly, it, it sounds as though you're saying that we have like a huge responsibility and kind of um, we have a huge responsibility to learn and to ask um, and to listen because we're in a position of privilege. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of reminded of like the Spider-Man quote and it's not actually Spider-Man. My husband always tells me it's uncle Ben who said, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Right. And, you know, and, you know, if privilege is considered power and if we have like, you know, the privilege of being in this space and to kind of like to, to kind of have that knowledge, um, you know, we should kind of harness that responsibility mm-hmm. to do good. Definitely. Um, yeah. And, and of course, like, you know, to be able, I, I, I guess I just kind of want to repeat your, <laughs> your point to shut up and to listen, right. Mm-hmm. And to, you know, to, to kind of, um, you know, to provide that platform and to, Yes. Oh, I was just going to say when I when I was thinking about like questions like this um, uh, or answering questions like this, I was thinking about how I can take cues from the cannabis plant herself and how that as how that has affected um, the way I move through this industry, like um, or daily life, even um, like like how uh, I sort of personified it in um, in cannabis being um, grounded and rooted and in in its own strength and firm truths, um, like the facts that can be proven scientifically, um, which I will include anecdotal because healing and medicine existed long before organized Western medicine. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, that all of that truth is what is foundational to, well, what was foundational to making cannabis legal. Um, That's, those were the, you know, those were the words that allowed people to, to say to themselves, okay, I can acknowledge that this, this is more than an illegal substance um, and give people the option to think about it in another way. Um, And, um, and then continue to grow upwards with that and and spread spread that truth that you've absorbed through your roots and spread that knowledge 
like leaves unfurling and flowers blooming because there's so many topics to cover um, that people don't even talk about, like cannabis as a tool for harm reduction. Um, I mean, lots of people do talk about the science and art of growing and production, but that's it's very like nerdy circles that are really into it. But I think I think if we could if we could make that like um, more inspired to um, people who are interested in cannabis, um, they will they will realize like the depth of knowledge um, to to share, um, and then let alone cultural histories. Um, political histories, uh, medicinal histories, uh, sacramental, all of it. It's, it's such a deep plant. So there's a lot to share and a lot to know. Um, I feel like I also didn't, um, I wanted to answer part of, of how we can use our privilege to support Indigenous communities as well. Um, something really important to me, as a lot of my um, community are made up of indigenous folks um, and people in working in front line in solidarity with indigenous folks, Pinoy is working in solidarity in the front lines. So I'm pretty proud to say that. Um, I know people who are supporting on that level. Um, But for me, in terms of cannabis, um, my office, for instance, we're going to be moving uh, to a new space on the downtown east side uh, across from Pigeon Park, um, supposedly the poorest postal code in Canada, they say, um, and where many of our neighbors are the very people who've been displaced um, from this land, their land. Um so there are a lot of organizations and groups in the neighborhood um, that I want us to create genuine relationships with. Um, in introducing ourselves, hey, we're your new neighbor. We're a vertically integrated prohibition era cannabis company, a publicly traded cannabis company, um, which, you know, in and of itself already sounds like uh we are a successful company, um, which, you know, in the minds of most people equates to money. So we're going to be there asking, what is it that you need and how can we support you? It's the difference between asking what people needs need and, and offering what you think they need. Because I think that's a thing that happens a lot, especially in Indigenous communities, is just um, throwing resources um, or, and that includes, you know, food even, um, at, at people without even saying, you know, Hey, are you hungry? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think those, those are some of the ways as well as, um, being able to, um, validate indigenous voices by creating platforms for their voices to be heard. I think, um, cannabis companies, especially in BC can use that, um, use their, their platforms, their websites, their, um, social medias, their, even their spaces that they take up to support, um, the local communities in their, in their programs, their art, their radio, their fitness, their food, their their growing careers even. You know, there's so many people that, and so many um, ways that we can help. That's, yeah, that's a 
see nobody sees this and I'm trying not to make it audible, but I've been snapping the whole time you were talking. Okay. I'm like, yes, so much. Yes. All of this. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I think they're going to edit this down. So I'm going to do it very quietly. But um, I just, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it, and, and it's so interesting because like, I mean, it kind of goes back to like utilizing our privilege. Right. And I mean, there's like this tremendous opportunity to really use cannabis as a beacon for good and to just like, I'm just so incredibly, um, I'm so incredibly refreshed by your views. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, know that they're shared by many people who live here. I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I dig it. And you, and you know what? I think I think maybe it's just me personally. I've just been so inundated with kind of like cannabis news, like like um, even just regular media, and all you hear is just stocks and and valuations and this and that. And and I think sometimes. Um, the message can get lost that, you know, there is definitely this, the side of cannabis that's so incredibly human, that's so community based, that's so compassionate. And also that's just very fiery and very, like, um, very propelled and, and escalated and, um, and initiated and, and ignited. Like, I mean, I feel like we wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't, you know, the, the passion of advocacy. And I, and I really hope that, um, and I really hope that that continues going forward, right. In this legalization 1.0 like landscape, I don't know. <laughs> Emmy, you're such a dope human being. I, I love chatting with you. Um, now, um, a conversation with a fellow with a fellow Filipino Penex isn't complete. I mean, we've already had our chat about karaoke, so we we chatted, we discussed one component of like you know your typical Filipino um, upbringing and kind of loves. Um, but a conversation with a with a fellow Penex isn't complete without you know, conversation about food. We love food. I love food. Do you love food? Love, love food. I'm now um, a part of kind of like my exploration or or reclaiming of my Filipino roots. It's kind of small, but I've been rediscovering a lot of like yummy Filipino dishes and snack food. And, um, (laughs) And I know I'm not alone when I say that there's nothing better than cannabis and Filipino food. It's kind of like this perfect pairing. Do you have any favorite post-ish Filipino munchies or oh, anything? Any good combos? I say the pastime because it's more so like, hey, do you want to go for a bike ride and blaze and then go to Max's or Josephine <laughs> or whatever Filipino restaurant, fill in the blank here. Um, uh, so that's definitely a thing in my life. And actually, even this weekend, I was in Edmonton, and no joke, after hitting up my very first Ed- Alberta legal shop, um, okay. <laughs> just to try it out, um, I walked around the corner afterwards and went to the Filipino dessert shop and had a then Twinkie. And I also had my own built ice cream sandwich with one side was a cornflake cookie, the other side was a ube cookie, and it had kissed ice cream in the middle. Whoa, okay, let's back up. You need to explain what these delicious things are. So 
uh, when you say a pandan twinkie, I know what a twinkie is, but what is pandan? So pandan is uh, yeah, it's like a root vegetable and leaf. I believe we're eating the leaf part. Um, it looks like a palm type of plant. Um, yeah, it's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like fragrant I saw like a picture meme not too long ago and it said pandan is like, or pandan is like the Filipino vanilla. Um, and I think you're right. It's kind of got that aromatic kind of like mm-hmm. that deliciousness. Ah. Um, so ube, what is ube? And then ube is, um, it's a, like a purple yam. It's a root vegetable. Um, I don't know if purple yam is the equipment or equivalent, or that's just what people call it. But it looks like a purple yam. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Often used um, in beverages and desserts. Oh, okay. And has a bit more has a bit more of a, a flat taste. Not really like um, not as aromatic, and um, <laughs> it's a pretty basic flavor, but. Um, but really widely known across, I would say, all of islands. And, and queso is, is cheese, right? Okay, so so this sounds amazing. So you've got this sweet and crunchy and cold and creamy and slightly salty and umami combo after your joint. That sounds like the perfect day. Yeah, and then of course my my most current guilty pleasure is the Pampanga's best chicharron, which made in Vancouver. I don't know if you can buy it anywhere else, but they make uh, pork and chicken chicharron, uh, which I went through a bag of each this weekend. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> No judgment. Yeah. That stuff is amazing. Yeah. Um, so for those who may not know what chicharron is, chicharron is like the deep fried either pork or chicken skins, right? They're like, they're delicious. I guess in the South they're called cracklins, maybe. Yeah, pork rinds. Yeah, so they're keto friends <laughs> if, you, if you're into that. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know what, Emmy, I um, have a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, and because I'm really hungry now, <laughs> um, do you have any pretty passion projects or do you have any opportunities that you're excited to be working on? Oh, um, currently right now, like anything that's outside of cannabis has been backburnered. Um, but my pa- my passion projects... Um, have been around um, building community with other decolonizing Filipinos, um, cultivating that community uh, with uh, through healing and artistic exploration. Um, my Indigenous Filipino art collective, Katara, has been in operation since 2003. And to this day, we've never had an address to call home. So one of my projects um, I envision completing with the help of my connection to cannabis is to one day um, find a home for Katara. Um, that's probably my biggest project. Yeah. In, in my heart, I could have, uh, I could have a little sorry, sorry store <laughs> with, <Yes. laughs> with, a with a little window in the back with, um, with know, somebody's grandma cooking adobo. Alternative to the grandma, actually, I would like to have my roommate. Hi, well, I'm going to plug high well for a second because he's in toronto and he's another he's another badass filipino um in the 
in the space of uh, working in solidarity with Indigenous folks. So check out his spot if anyone is around there. <laughs> uh, it's called Nish Dish on Bloor, N-I-S-H-D-I-S-H. But that guy can cook and he will work in my Sari Sari store making, <laughs> making adobo in the back uh, while I'm selling calamansi slushies in the front. And, uh, and my, all my talented Filipinos um, take up their space in uh, community organizing, creating new dances, creating new music, um, all within this collective space. That's my project. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's been backburned, yes. but it's still there. <laughs> yeah, no, manifest that shit. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. <laughs> Um, Emmy, I think I could talk to you forever. Um, we're not going to though. Emmy, I, I had a I had a great time chatting. Um, how else can people get a hold of you? Um, probably my Instagram. Um, I have three accounts that I use pretty regularly. Um, so my personal it's E M E underscore like the award. So it's Emmy underscore like the award as in the Emmy award. Um, my, my cannabis friendly one is people on cannabinoids, all one word at people on cannabinoids. And, uh, if anyone likes bulldogs, I have the cutest one on the West Coast, and his name is Toki. Uh, you can find him at Bulldog, T-O-K-I, one word, and that's all me too. Legit the cutest bulldog, just putting it out there. Yeah. That's why his name's Toki. Toki, son of stoners. Um, <laughs> I do use I do have Twitter, but I don't really use it. But it's again under the same name, Emmy Like the Award. And uh, people on cannabinoids Twitter is Pox for Pox, P O C S four number four P O C S. Otherwise, you can find me working communications and culture coordinating at Pasha Brands on the weekends. I'm at the Sanctuary of the Rastafarian Order. And uh, you can catch me on stage and behind the scenes at various events throughout the year with Katara Indigenous Filipino Arts Collective. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So I am going to strongly encourage anyone listening to follow Emmy on Insta, on Twitter. Definitely follow Bulldog Toki on Instagram if you want to make your existence brighter. Um, Toki will make you smile. And follow Emmy because you'll learn so much. You will be inspired by what they're doing out in the cannabis space and outside of the cannabis space. Um, uplifting, um, uplifting folks, building community, and just being like a totally rad human being. That is my definition of Emmy in a nutshell. So I am so happy you and I were able to chat, Emmy. Um, thank you so much for joining me on Herb Life Sessions. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you.